I do love Christmas. It's such a great time of year. This will be my first Christmas in Carrollton, Texas. It was a joy this morning to walk in to be greeted upon my early arrival to the church by the bells who had been practicing just for me. Well, maybe for you too when you arrived. What a joy it was to hear the rhythmic sounds coming from their instruments, be reminded of what day it was, and to see the beauty of the decorations in the foyer, welcoming those of us who have made it back home from the Thanksgiving week. Then to walk in and to behold the sanctuary prepared and adorned by Denise Beckman and her committee, who were all over the church doing the things that make this place come alive for Christmas. Denise, where are you? Stand up. Oh, look at that little short woman. Give her a hand. She may not be the tallest person in the church. Maybe not. But let me tell you what. When she speaks like E.F. Hutton, everybody listens. She had people everywhere. It's in such good hands, I felt good to go and visit with my daughter, waiting to come back and just see it all. And they were even putting stars on the stage. Wow. If I were five years old, they would probably not survive. They almost didn't make it through the first morning. At least one didn't. I love Christmas. It's so unexpected and brings so many unexpected things with it. I'll admit I've been anxiously awaiting for my opportunity to preach this message because it's just been singing over and over in my head. That phrase, the thrill of Christmas, begins with the thrill of hope. The thrill of of hope. I can hardly wait until Christmas Eve, that holy night. You know the song, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And here's the line I've been singing over and over and over again in my head. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. Now, this morning in my eagerness, in my excitement, I'm almost hyperventilating, I think, this morning. I'll admit it. I was going to sing those verses for the first time in 35 years. And then with the clarity of light, I decided not to. You should thank God for that. My wife is thanking God right now for that. But it does. It just keeps playing over and over in my my head. A thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. This phrase brings such strong and powerful meaning to my life. Every year I, I can hardly wait to hear Oh Holy Night. That's the only requirement of the whole year for the music person in the church where I'm pastoring is somebody, somebody has to sing the thrill of hope. And bonuses are definitely tied to how well it's done. <laughs> Choose your poison. It's up to you, David. No pressure. 
Miller can hardly stand it. He is so thrilled with the word Christmas. He can't keep his hands off the presents, and he's terribly frustrated that he can't let his exuberance loose, that he wants to turn it loose and tear up every package in the whole town. And so when they bring in one for Micah, he is happy to be the loving big brother and open her packages for her, and that's helped. But to have some in the house that he can't open is slowly driving him insane. It's really not fair. But that is the task he has before him. We must pray for him. For you see, hope is desire all held within combined with expectation. That's the way Webster defines it. Desire combined with a expectation, and that is what hope is. Desire with a belief in the possibility of obtaining something that is so important to you. Thrill, the thrill of hope. Thrill is an emotional excitement. In its verb form, it means to stir deeply, to arouse emotional response. That's why I love Christmas, because I'm all about being stirred emotionally for my Lord. I'm all about congregations getting stirred up. For 35 years, I've looked forward to every project where I could go and stir things up. And trust me, they needed stirring up in all of those places that I was assigned. And then I came to Carrollton. And y'all are already stirred up. So I'm figuring out, okay, God, what is the thrill of the hope of stirring up this group? And God says, it's coming. It's coming. But I said, but, but, but what is it? And he said, and he continues to say, it's coming. It's coming. And I keep saying, just like Miller, he comes by and honestly, but when? Can, I, can we see it now? He said, no, 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 not yet. But it's coming. It's coming. And I am so excited to see what God has planned for you and for me and for the future we shall share together. No, I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. It's kind of like waiting for a Savior. I'm not expecting him to be born in a stall to parents of poverty where he have no seemingly advantages of the whole world except a loving mother and father who are committed to the Lord God Almighty. That seemed to be enough. But I was not expecting it that way. It was not what was on my mind. Romans 13, Paul is talking to the church gathered there, reminding them what they, that they already know what time it is, and yet he tells them it's also time to awaken from their sleep. For salvation is nearer than when they first believed. What a thought that is. You already got it. You already know what time it is, but you still need to wake up. You need to wake up because you still haven't fully grasped how near is salvation to you and the way that it can be realized. I find that a necessary sermon over and over again for every congregation. You see, the world has a way of just weighing us down, of just dividing our concentration of breaking down our best spiritual intentions and causing us to stay focused on living life. We get so busy living life that we lose the thrill of spiritual hope. 
We lose the thrill of the salvation that God has planned for us because after all, we already been saved. We're going to heaven in a little rowboat. It'll probably be in a few years. Maybe it'll be in 100 years for some of you. But it's coming. We're going to be saved. We'll be happy then. But the thrill of hope is about salvation that comes every, every day. Now I want to ask you a question. When you got up this morning, were you thrilled with your salvation and the hope of the way God was going to save you today? Or were you kind of getting up going, man, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Or maybe you got up thinking, I wonder how long church will be today with communion. Or maybe you were thinking, well, it's good to be a Christian going to church. I wonder if everybody's back from vacation. But were you thinking about, I am thrilled to get up out of this bed and get dressed to go worship my Lord who is going to save me yet again today. Not past tense salvation, the hope of future and present salvation. That's what Paul wanted to awaken in this church at Rome. He wanted them to be fully alive and thriving with anticipation. He wanted them so excited that they could hardly wait to open God's salvation plan for them on that day. Now, it may seem like that reading this story about Christ returning is a little bit of a Debbie Downer or a Donnie Downer, let's be fair. But really, it's not. Thinking about God coming back in Christ again to the earth and the final judgment for the world is about the whole world being completely redeemed. Completely redeemed. That every animal and every plant and every human that is left on earth will be redeemed. Completely. Can you imagine what a complete you will look like? Yeah, I know. It's hard, isn't it? Did I just go off? Nope, there I am. I'm on? I'm still on. Okay. I'm just so excited. I'm not loud enough for myself. I get so excited when I think about what it'll be like to have no thoughts but the thoughts that God would have me have. No actions except those that I need to do for God that I'm ready to do for God, that I'm willing to do for God, that I'm able to do for God. I'm so excited about thinking about no budgets to worry about in heaven. Neither at home nor at the church. That must be full salvation. No worry. Can you think about salvation and you at your best? Not just for a few moments, not for a few hours, maybe not for a day, but for every moment of realization of life. They are all filled with exactly what God wants you to be. Oh, I can hardly wait. For that day. If the bus pulls out in front of the church today, laugh and get on board. We'll be going to heaven. What's there to worry about? Who cares whether the bills are paid at home? Who cares if the Cowboys win? They are winning today. They're not even playing. That's a victory. Yeah, I know they won a couple. But the thrill of hope is a little lost there because I'm not so expectant of something good happening. So who's losing out? I'm turning on the TV waiting to find out which new way they'll find to lose. Well, that's so wrong. I'm not that kind of fan, but they've beaten me down. Has the world beaten you down? Sometimes the thrill of our own salvation has been beaten down by the earthly realities that things aren't turning out as we wish they would. That we're not quite as good as we hoped we would be by now. 
that we're not quite as pure as we would like to be standing in front of God. Sometimes the world beats us down with our guilt. And it's at that very moment when we need to realize that the joy in life and the thrill in life is knowing that God loves me and came for me while I was a beaten down sinner in the midst of a weary world. And yonder came the gift of light to my life. Every moment, every moment in time is rich with divine possibility. If only we could awaken to the reality that God's salvation is a moment-by-moment blessing. If only we'll participate within it. Do you live with that mindset? You know, it's hard to wake up to our deepest spiritual desires. We can name them. We want to be like Jesus. We can say what they are. Christ coming fully into our lives so that all of our actions and our thoughts and everything that we're about is all about Jesus. We can name them. But the trouble is, sometimes in the midst of naming them, we experience a deadened desire instead of a thrill of desire. I see a lot of churches that are living with deadened desires. I see a lot of Christians who are nursing a barely throbbing desire for Christ that has been deadened over time with failure after failure after failure to be all that God wants them to be. And this thing of deadened desire kills churches and it kills individuals. And it's a stumbling block to the thrill of hope. I mention it because I simply want to say a word to you today. If you find your life deadened, lacking desire in the many ways in which you live, including your spiritual life. It may be because you've allowed the world to accumulate on top of you and push you down. The thrill of hope can reawaken those desires for every one of us. Whatever it is in your life, that has pushed down your desire for Christ and your desire for the coming kingdom of God into you individually and through you into the God's world, whatever has been pressing that down in a side can be overcome. I love it when illustrations in normal life cheer you up. Now, this wasn't much of a football day for me. I'm kind of getting worn out now. There's so much football. And I turned on the TV, and there weren't really a lot of games that interested me. In fact, most of the games were about the Big Ten or that little group of folks over in the southeast. So I would turn them on every now and then to catch the score while I'd watch another show in between, work on some old files, contemplating, sing or not sing, Oh Holy Night. Oh, holy night. And then I turned it over, and the score was 42 to 35. Ohio State was ahead. Now, I wouldn't care if Ohio State lost every game. If you're from Ohio State, I'm sorry. But they just don't interest me. I don't really care one way or the other. But I knew Michigan, unlike number three, Ohio State, had already won any of their games this year. They'd been a flop. They'd been a disappointment. The one thing that could turn around their season would be to beat Ohio State. And there they were. At the end of the game, somehow they'd got the ball. I didn't watch that thrilling part because, after all, I wasn't too thrilled by the whole idea. But then all of a sudden... They did it. 
in the midst of a half a step from crossing over into a penalty, the quarterback lobbed a little pass to a guy standing all by himself who ran into the end zone, and they were one point away. A simple extra point. You kick them 99% of the time through the goalpost and put a point on the board to being tied and going to overtime. There's like 15 seconds left on this clock. They had this desire, this thrill, this possibility of beating Ohio State that nobody else thought they could do. And they were right there ready to tie it and go into overtime where they would both be on equal footing again. Or, or they could take the risk of going for two points and win right then. Right there in that moment, they could realize their hopes and their dreams. You know, one of the reasons we have deadened desires is because we as a race, most of us, are determined to avoid pain at all costs. If it might cause us pain and there's a safer way to do it, just kick the extra point and we can delay the pain. We'll take it. Turn off the TV and read my Bible? That caused a little pain. Work with the youth? Have you seen the youth lately? I have. What's the big pain? But for some people, it's a terrible fear. Let somebody else do it. Deaden the pain. No, don't avoid anything that might hurt me. Thank God for that coach who sent his team back on the field to go for the victory. The thrill of hope was surging throughout them. Now, I know what you're going to say. You say, well, I saw the end of that game, too. You know that dummy, if he hadn't tried that... Two-pointer could have tied the game. They weren't trying to tie. They were trying to win. And all day long, one thing they could not do was stop Ohio State from running over them until Ohio State would make a mistake. I saw enough of the game to see that. They thought their best chance, if they could get over their fear of the pain of not succeeding, was to attempt to succeed, and so they did. And you might say, well, they failed. I would say, no, they did not. They had the thrill of pushing the number three team in the country to the brink of disaster. And Ohio State will never, ever talk about that game without remembering that they did not win the game. They were recipients of a bold, brave football team that tried to win it. And those young men, as they grow up, and when they get over having lost, they'll remember they gave it everything they had, regardless at the chance of pain. My hat's off to them if I had one. Matthew 24, Christ is coming back to earth. This is the second and last point. We're almost there. I've got two minutes to do it. Hold on. Christ is coming back. Yes, it's an apocalyptic day. Yes, it's way off in the future and nobody knows when that day is coming. And that may sound like That's a kind of a downer to Christmas and the Christmas spirit. But is that day really at odds with the idea of Christ coming at Christmas? Or is it really not a down payment to the reality that will one day happen in his fullness? Jesus coming to earth and leaving the Holy Spirit with us is reminding us that the kingdom of God comes partially into our hearts every day. And someday it will be complete. 
either when we go to be with Jesus forever in heaven or when Christ returns upon this earth and we're caught up with him in that last victorious moment when the whole earth and sin itself is defeated. I don't believe those two thoughts are at odds at all. I believe they're one and the same. We don't know when, and we don't. Many things we don't know, in fact, about this life, right? But we can live in the here and now with Christ in the present, living and waiting faithfully for the reality of the fullness of time to come upon this earth, for all flesh, for the whole physical earth, even for our whole soul. What a joy to live faithfully, redeeming the time that we have, expecting with the thrill of hope, victories to be won day after day in our lives as our own sin is defeated by the kingdom of God and eventually knowing that the whole world will be a part of that enormous reality that is the kingdom of God with sin completely vanished. The thrill of hope. It arouses faithful living, expecting the kingdom to come. Auburn and Alabama have beaten each other to death. Bruise after bruise, blow after blow, they fought it out. And I was like everyone else. Every time I click over, it seemed like Alabama had just scored with seven points ahead. And I thought, can they hang in there? And I checked back later. They had, and I was thinking, Brad is beside himself. You know, they show the pictures in the stands, and the people there were beside themselves. And then it looked like it was all gone. It looked like Alabama had won, and then they didn't. Auburn came roaring back, and you'd think it's over. Then they had what I thought was the last play of the game, and I almost turned it away. Thankfully, I didn't. Because they decided there was one second on the clock, and I thought they were playing in Tuscaloosa. What referee thought there was one second left on that clock? The game was over. They were going to overtime. I was going to come back later. No, they had time left. And he tried it unmolested almost into the sideline with everybody thinking the game was over. They lined up a man to try a field goal, a young man, a freshman. He was 58 yards. But what do you got to lose, right, says Saban? <laughs> What do you got to lose? Why not take a last shot? The thrill of hope that, you know, after all, they are Alabama. Who beats Alabama on a meaningful game lately? They lined up. Everybody on Auburn on the edge of their seats thinking he can't kick it that far, can he? Oh, the thrill of hoping he'll miss with the knowledge that you're pretty much sure he will. And yet, could this be the dowsing water to just burn out? Tear down our flame. Could it happen? He kicked the ball. And lo and behold, it looked like it was going to come up short. And one human being was standing down there to catch it. He had a different hope. He had hoped for the miss. But when he saw it wasn't long enough to get out of the end zone, he had one hope left. If I can take this ball 108 or 9 yards away and run it to the other end there's nothing like a victory when nobody in the stands expects it least of all the whole crowd that were there from Alabama were like (laughs) and everybody from Auburn going nuts 
watching him go down the sidelines one after one after one until he almost tripped over his own guy, the ten, who would have died suddenly in a heart attack had he tripped him. But he didn't, thank God, and he trotted into the end zone in a play that will never, ever be forgotten. The thrill of never giving up. It's almost like a miraculous pass tipped into your hands the week before. And they're all in the huddle going, God loves us more than Alabama. (laughs) I'm thinking probably not so much. But, uh, you know, on that day, your hope was fulfilled. Oh, it's sweet too, isn't it? Now, the thrill of hoping is great. I'm hoping for all the dreams of the people who built this building and this school, this church, and this place years ago. They were filled with hopes and dreams. They could hardly wait to see what God was going to do in this place with these people called Methodists. And part of that dream has been fulfilled. The building has been built. The faithful core has remained united. And now, ten young years later for the congregation, and about 12 to 13 years for the school, all of those dreams are still partially fulfilled. Now let me ask you a hard question. Is the thrill of hope for you? Those of you that were around on the day you decided to move out here, is that thrill of hope still alive? Do you still believe that what God had planned for this congregation can still be fulfilled in this place in the future to come? Do you believe this place can be filled up and a sanctuary can be added to it and built because of the number of people who are coming here to bring their children to school, to bring the people to church, to come and to worship God and to celebrate His coming to earth? Do you still believe that's a possibility? And do you believe it to the point that you're thrilled with anticipation and the expectancy that that work will be done? If so, then you're in the right place. If not, you're going to be shocked because it's going to happen in this place. And you are the people, as God inspires you with his Holy Spirit and with the divine strength to fulfill the task that God called you to do, God will be faithful to fulfill it in your vision. I don't know exactly how. I don't know exactly when. But it's coming. And when God moves in the midst of his people and they meet God's expectations with their own hopeful hearts that are thrilled, thrilled at the opportunity to be a part of something with God, when you put those together, no power on earth can stand against it.